0: The uh, bad news is it's very warm, hot. The good news, it's August. You know what August means? I love August. I always tell my wife, no matter how hot it gets in the day, it it doesn't take too long and it starts to get cool in the evening. We are getting to that point. You get to the middle of August, it's going to start getting cooler in the evening. So uh, I think Friday, they're saying. So anyway. I'm glad you're here tonight. We are in the book of Ephesians, and so let us uh, we're going to look at verses uh, 22, chapter 5, verses 22 through 27. Uh, the Spirit-filled marriage is what I've uh, entitled this here tonight, the Spirit-filled marriage. And so uh, we'll learn a few things here. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would minister to our hearts as we study the Word of God together. We thank you for the instructions you have given us. And, uh, Lord, how even the text we are studying tonight flows out of the emphasis on being filled with the Spirit. And so, Lord, uh, guide and direct us in our, in our study, in our conversation. We commit our time to you now. Pray also for the seamless group, too. Uh, just pray that that study would go very well over there with these uh, young gals tonight, too. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, to begin with here, uh, Ephesians is where we are, the church is the theme, and uh, we find positional truth in the first three chapters, emphasizing union with Christ, union with each other, which is uh, in essence what the church is all about, and then practical truth, walk in unity, holiness, love, light, and wisdom, and under this, you know, these categories, we have this tremendous emphasis on submission, as found in chapter 5 and into chapter 6, uh, submitting to one another, uh, wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters. And so pretty extended emphasis on uh, submission here in our text. Uh, let's see here the key bridge verse that we are building off of here, ephesians 5:21 uh, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now he's just emphasized being filled with the spirit and uh, we noted that in verse 18. And then we talked about joy, speaking to one another in hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and so forth. Joy. Uh, Thanksgiving, verse 20. Giving thanks always, uh, verse 20. So joy, thanksgiving, and then submission, submitting to one another. Those three characteristics kind of flow out of that uh, command to be filled with the Spirit. But then he kind of like stays there as far as the submission theme now follows through. Uh, as we have noted from, from this verse right here, and so uh, I would say this: verse twenty one is a transitional hinge verse, if you will. It represents the general conclusion of the previous section in five fifteen through twenty one. You know that emphasis on on uh, wisdom, and yet at the same time presents a bridge into an, an expansion of specific application of this submission theme in the entire next section from 5.22 through 6.9, as I've already emphasized. So uh, note uh, one more uh, thing here. The whole section regarding submission flows out of Paul's discussion on being filled with the Spirit. I really want to kind of nail that down. Because what does a Spirit-filled look, life look like? Well, I think there's a lot of submission Uh, starting with being uh, submissive to the Spirit, and then the authorities that God has put in our lives. All of us have authority figures in our lives, right? Is there anybody here that doesn't? Uh, You can raise your hand. We will laugh. Anyway, uh, (laughs) all of us have authority figures in our lives. And how we respond to those God-ordained authorities reflects our desire to honor God's order of things. This is true in respect to to government, which can be challenging at times, right? Yeah. Uh, and to the church, but even more fundamentally to the home. Proper submission to God-ordained authority reflects submission to God himself. So that kind of, if God has ordained this and, and I'm not submission, uh, submissive to this authority, uh, what's that say about my attitude towards God? Well, I'm really having a problem with God who has ordained the authority. So, uh, so that's key. Okay, uh, let's pick it up, uh, chapter 5 and verse 22, and uh, who wants to read uh, 22 and uh, let's do 23 together, uh, 22-23, who wants to read that? Yeah, Jay? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Okay, so... You know, verse 22 is considered to be one of the most offensive verses in the New Testament. Uh, wives, submit uh, to your own husbands as to the Lord. In fact, I've had, I've had people tell me, you know, we don't want this in our wedding service. Now, I didn't end up doing that wedding. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of people just kind of struggle with this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's considered very offensive But uh, I would point out what William MacDonald says here. We all know there is great revulsion against this teaching in our day. People accuse Paul of being a bigoted bachelor, a male chauvinist, a woman hater, or they say his views reflect the social customs of his day but are no longer applicable to today. Uh, Such statements are, of course, a frontal attack on the inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, These are not merely Paul's words. They are the words of God. And, and that's what we believe. Uh, this is the inspired scripture. So uh, how are we to understand this? <clears throat> well, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and also 1 Timothy 2, where Paul emphasizes uh, that headship is male, he grounds it in the creation order of Genesis. Both here in 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, he goes back to Genesis. So to say that the idea of submission is no longer relevant is bogus. Uh, this was God's intention and design from the very beginning. And that's, and that's Paul's argument. His, his design has not changed. The principles uh, go back to the beginning. And so uh, not, nothing really new here what Paul is saying. Uh, notice he says, the wives submit to your own husbands. Uh, he, he, by the way, he doesn't say obey them. Uh, that word obey is a different word that's used in reference to uh, children, also to slaves. So there's a different, there's a little different feel here in terms of uh, what is being said to the to the wives. And of course, husbands, wives are heirs together of the grace of life. Uh, there's a complementary relationship, and uh, there is to be dignity and respect in uh, how we relate to one another, especially as we think about how the husbands are to treat their wives, as he will get to in just in just a moment. Uh, and uh, not only that. Uh, Husbands and wives are spiritual equals. Uh, we, are, we are one in Christ, and uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female, as Paul says in Galatians 3.28. Uh, there's a oneness. There's an there's a equality in Christ. Different roles, but there is an equality spiritually in Christ. So he says, uh, with all that background, wives submit to your own husbands. He doesn't say, you know, submit to your uh, father-in-law or to your, your father, even. Uh, or to your son, uh, or to somebody else's husband, right? Submit to your own husband. Now, uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase, as to the Lord. Uh, the sense here, I think, uh, it's, it's not that the husband is Lord, even though Abraham or Sarah called Abraham Lord, right? But uh, uh, we are not God. The husband is not in the place of God. And the idea here is uh, that she is to submit to the Lord as an act of submission to the Lord. That's the idea. Uh, Submit as an act of submission to the Lord. Uh, She's doing this as unto the Lord. Uh, That's that's what she's doing here. So she does it with the Lord in view. And in doing so is acknowledging God's created order. That this is what God has uh, for her. And we will see why, even in terms of... uh, God's intention as far as the picture in relationship to Christ and the church. We don't both play the same role here. The husband plays the headship role. The wife plays the bride role. And the church is to submit to Christ. And so she plays that that submissive role as ordained by God. Okay, and then he says, uh, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife. He's giving explanation here. Uh, Head of the wife means that he has authority. He's in that leadership role. And as also Christ is head of the church. Pretty strong statement. How is Christ head of the church? Well, he has authority over the church, right? Absolutely. He He is Lord over the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Now, that's an interesting uh, combination. He's head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. He's both. He's the head, but he's also the Savior. Now, realize he's talking about uh, husband-wife relationship here. And uh, when we see that Christ is the Savior of the body, we understand what that means. He's our our deliverer. Uh, But when we make application, uh, the idea seems to be that the husband uh, is the protector, Uh, note the train of thought, the wife is to recognize that the husband uh, is sovereignly ordained to be her head for her good, just as Christ being the head of the church is for the good of the church. So often headship is emphasized as a negative thing with a selfish agenda in view, but that is not to be the case. The headship role is really for the protective good of the wife as ordained by God. So I think that's the emphasis here. Uh, Christ is the head of the church and he's acting for the good of the church he's the savior of the body well in what sense is uh, the parallel as far as a husband being the savior of the wife well he's not in 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 an exact parallel but he is in a protective role he's in a in he functions for her good in in uh, taking care of her and protecting her all right uh any other thoughts yep yep okay the church is Yes. So therefore, that's, that's how he is. That's the parallel. Authority for, for the church. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Anything else? Yes, Kate? Sorry. No, no problem. So when the husband is not, like, what is, when the husband is abusing that, what is the role of the church in that situation? Well, we're going to get to that. Okay. And that's a great question because that when sin enters in you know there's never sin with Christ right i mean as far as how Christ treats the church there's no, it's, there's no sin involved there so you know we get into a whole different realm when he says to, to the husband love your wife as Christ loved the church well what if that paradigm's not being followed and there's a, a, a sinfully abusive situation well that becomes a, another matter here um as far as uh, Following any human authority into sin is never our obligation. I mean, in fact, we are not to follow uh, someone into sin. So um, lots of things we could chase down as far as trails on that question. But um, I'm going to bring it up here in just a minute. So let's uh, table it just a little bit. All right. Anything else? Okay. Let's uh, have somebody read verse uh, 24. Verse 24. Who wants to read that? Yes, Michelle? Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Okay. Therefore, the, the, he's drawing a parallel, and in light of this parallel that he's drawing, in terms of the Christ being the head of the church and the husband being the head of the wife, uh, he continues the, the parallel here, He says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. That's a pretty strong statement, too, don't you think? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, How is the church to be subject to Christ? To what extent? (laughs) Completely, right? I mean, who are we to look at Christ and say, you know, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, That's completely wrong. Uh, We are to be uh, subject to the church in everything, uh, not just when we feel like it, uh, but rather at every point. And and that is the point. Uh, Just as Christ is subject to the church, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the wife is to honor the husband's leadership role. And by the way, someone has to lead and someone has to follow. I mean, it's just the nature of life. Yeah. you can't have two heads. It's a freakish thing. <laughs> yeah, somebody has to be in that in that headship role, and uh, submission is easy. By the way, when every everything's in just total agreement all the time, unit, total uniformity, which is not going to happen in in this fallen world, um, so somebody has to kind of be, you know. And I think a wise husband is working, as I say, in, in a heirs together of the grace of life relationship here but there are going to be times where a decision has to be made something's got to give here somebody's going to have to be the head and that is ordained by God to be the husband's the husband's role Uh, back to your question Kate honer has got a good point here it certainly would not mean that a wife should submit to her husband in anything that is contrary to the commands of God for one needs to obey God more than humans. We ought to obey God rather than men, as uh, Acts 5.29 says. In other words, the wife is not to submit to her husband in anything sinful, including abuse. So um, <coughs> that's, uh, that's a good point. Um, you know, you're not obligated. I think about Abigail in the Old Testament who had Nabal uh, for a husband. Uh, you know what Nabal means, right? A fool. Uh, you know was she submissive to Nabal when uh, she 's kind of going behind his back to David and saving not only his life but the, the whole the whole family was well, she acted wisely? The Bible says uh, she did not do anything wrong she, she acted wisely in that situation, so you 've got to weigh things when we start talking abuse and sinful uh, behavior. Um, Just one thing here about this verse. Uh, I've often thought about this because it seems to me this is quite a scary verse, if you're a woman, probably. Now, I'm the man of my, you know, I'm the head of my home, so it's not too scary for me. Actually, I guess it really is. But but I think for the wife, uh, this is kind of a scary thing. But, you know, Peter kind of addresses this. Peter says, In this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God, and there becomes the the core issue, also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. This is how the holy women have carried on historically, Old Testament. Uh, They trusted in God, and how did that trust show? Being submissive to their own husbands. Uh, It's a God thing. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. I think that's kind of an interesting thing that Peter says there at the end, because I think what Peter is saying is it can be kind of scary to be in this position up here. Uh, but what does God want you to do? Well, he wants you to trust him in that situation. I mean, if you're kind of looking to this this person to lead you, I'm sure at certain points it can be scary. Thankfully, my wife is over at the other place and we can't call on a personal testimony. But... Uh, seriously, but it comes back, we got to trust God, maybe pray for him, you know, and if he's not asking you to do something sinful, you know, you need to honor his leadership. Now, if he's asking you to do something sinful and, and you, you don't go along with that, as we've talked about Abigail, but um, yeah, he's kind of, he kind of covers that. Uh, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and I would say that what in context he 's talking about trusting in god which re, which uh shows itself in being submissive to their own husbands and and are not afraid with any terror that's that 's where uh, faith comes in i 'm going to trust God with this uh, challenging situation all right, anything yes, Marilyn. Amen. And I think that's especially true if you've got a spirit-filled husband. But Peter begins, and, and like I said, I'm just kind of cutting to the chase here, but Peter begins here in 1 Peter, uh, First Peter uh, First chapter 3, verse 1. Why likewise, so be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that they without a word may be won by the word. I think if you're living in that kind of a situation where the husband is, is uh, you know, he's got some problems going on over here, that gets a little scary. Now, praise the Lord, you got Jay. So we know you're in a whole different category. <laughs> but uh, no, that's great, though. That's the way it should be, Marilyn. That's the way it should be. And and I trust my wife would say that, too. I think she would, actually. Yeah, I think so. But anyway. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate your input. Amen. Uh, you can, can you see why for some women this would maybe be scary? Absolutely. Yeah. My oh, yeah. That's yeah, 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 right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. All right. Anyone else? Yes, Michael. It seems like most of the time what the man is doing things in the Bible is because it goes contrary to what it would naturally do. Do you tie that back to the woman's part of the curse when it says her desire shall be for her husband? Do you interpret that as being that fight for power or control? I would. Um, yeah, in fact, I, I kind of was debating how much do I want to get into that. But yeah, I would take that back to Genesis three sixteen, and your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. There's going to be some tensions here. And uh, so, yeah, I think the tendency in the fall is for the, uh, the woman to kind of resist the man's leadership and for the man to be kind of harsh with his wife. Uh, and, and the spirit-filled life brings it back to where it should be. And it's a beautiful thing when the Spirit's controlling, but when our natural way is contrary. So, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, Bill. So I'm assuming that he's speaking not just to believers, but but generally people. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my. (laughs) Well, that is a problem. I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, unregenerate thinking here, which uh, let's talk the Lordship of Christ to start with. You know, he is the ultimate authority. We go back to creation. We go back to God's design. But if the world is not going to listen to that, um, you know, I don't know that we have any other answers for them. One time I had a couple come to see me, and uh, they said... um, Uh, We're not interested in your Jesus, but we want you to help us with our relationship. They weren't weren't married. They were living together. And they said, uh, we we want some some practical tips on on what's going to help us to, to live in harmony. You know what I said to them, Bill? I said, I can't help you. I said, the only answer that I know is Jesus Christ. You need Jesus to save your souls, and you need Jesus to live the Spirit-filled life, to, to really to get along, as the Bible says, to love one another as we are uh, to love each other. You're going to need Jesus. And if you're not open to Jesus, I don't have any answers for you. Uh, I could tell you to put rubber bands on and snap yourself when you feel the urge coming, you know, those kind of things. But that's really not my thing. So uh, that's a good question, but really... It gets kind of simple in one sense that our answer in, in the, I don't want to be oversimplistic, but really profoundly, uh, Jesus is the answer, really. And if, you, if you're not open to Jesus, boy, I'll pray for you. I don't have any other answers. Okay, anything else? Very good. Let's have somebody read verse uh, 25. Who wants to read verse 25? Yeah, Tom? Okay, very good. Uh, You know, there's a tall order to the wife to to submit to us. And by the way, the husband is not told to make his wife submit, right? It's uh, God's command to her to voluntarily uh, do this as to the Lord. Uh, And that's why he says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He's speaking to the wives He's not speaking to the husbands to make them do this But uh, I think the taller order is actually to the husbands uh, to love your wives just as christ loved the church Now that is a really tall order. I remember uh, The minister on our wedding day really drilling down on this verse in our wedding ceremony It still rings in my ears uh, this is a tall order. Uh, the word love is agape. It's the intense uh, word for love in, in the New Testament. It's in the present tense. Uh, there's some other words for love. Uh, uh, Philea, uh friendship love. That's not the word that's used. Eros is not used in the New Testament. Romantic love. Um, so this is the, the intense word. God's kind of love. Uh, that seeks the other person's highest good, that gives of itself sacrificially and uh, puts the the other person ahead of yourself. Um, As Christ, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Uh, Again, boy, you talk about uh, a high standard. Uh, Christ is our example in terms of loving our wives. And uh, how did he give himself for the church? Well, he laid down his life for the church. And uh, how much did he give? Well, he gave his all, right? I mean, he, he gave his all. And uh, he did so with a, with a goal in mind, as we will see. He gave himself for her, gave himself for the church. We We are to love our wives likewise. But he did it to a certain end with a certain goal in mind. And that's what we see in verses 26 and 27. Uh, any other thoughts before we go on to the, the 26 and 27? Okay, who wants to read uh, 26 and 27 for us? Yeah, John? Okay, very good. So Christ did this to this end, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Uh, Sanctify means to set apart or to make holy. And this uh, is key as far as uh, how to translate this. Harold Honer, a Greek expert, scholar, writes commentaries. I really like Harold, he's a really solid guy. But he says, it is best translated in order that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. Uh, he's looking at the Greek tenses and so forth and saying, Here, here's kind of how the best way to translate this is. Now, that's, a, that's a, a, a key because uh, that he might sanctify her, that's, that's an ongoing process, having cleansed her. Uh, we're already cleansed in terms of our positional state in, in, in the Lord. And so uh, he's bringing that out, that he uh, might sanctify and cleanse her. Now, uh, we're cleansed based on the cross work of Jesus Christ, and, and we are cleansed of all sin. Uh, and the result is that we are, we are set apart. We now belong to Jesus Christ. And then there's a practice uh, that relates to sanctification in terms of uh, an ongoing process in our life where we are becoming more Christ-like. So in practice, we grow in our sanctification. And uh, I uh, note this verse, Hebrews 10, 14, by one offering, that's the cross. He, Christ, has perfected forever. That's that cleansing position we're talking about. Uh, Perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified, that's progressive sanctification, sanctification. there's a positional reality. Uh, you can't get any more cleansed. can't get any more forgiven than you are in Jesus Christ as far as your position in Christ. But then there's a process of sanctification, progressive sanctification. Uh, and if this is true, if you've been cleansed, uh, perfected forever, then you are being sanctified. There is a progressive sanctification that's going on in your life. And I would tend to think that's what, we, that's what we're looking at here. Uh, He gave himself for the church uh, so that we might be cleansed, but then that uh, he might continue to sanctify us. And notice what he says here, uh, with the washing of water by the word. Uh, (laughs) Some people, anytime they see a verse like this, they see baptism there, which just is not the case. I mean, uh, it doesn't say anything about baptism here. In in fact, it's talking about uh, the washing of water by the word. Uh, It's speaking metaphorically. Uh, Homer Kent says this, Many regard this washing uh, of the water uh, as a direct reference to baptism. However, this washing is stated to be that cleansing in which the instrument is located in the word. Uh, So, yeah, just note the plain language of it there. Uh, By the word, the washing of the water by the word, Uh, the word of God is the cleansing agent for this present aspect of sanctification in which the church already forgiven by the atonement is being progressively made pure by uh, the practice, uh, made pure in practice by the application of God's word. The particular term for word here uh, emphasizes a spoken utterance. So uh, the ministry of the word uh, is the cleansing agent. Again, I think uh, this idea of washing of water is used metaphorically, speaking of cleansing. Uh, You know, when you take a shower, uh, you get physical cleansing. He's talking about spiritual cleansing here. And how does this happen? Uh, Well, it happens through the word of God. Um, I I got a couple of more slides here. Two aspects of uh, the sanctification ministry of the word. Number one, positional sanctification. When we hear the word preached and we believe in Christ, we are forever cleansed from our sin. And and that's true. Uh, We believe the gospel, we're saved. That's our position. And that happens in conjunction with the word. Progressive sanctification as believers, uh, the word of God convicts us. It works in our hearts and helps us to grow to be more like Jesus. This is progressive sanctification. Again, it's, it's happening in conjunction with the word. And then, uh, so note, uh, the key emphasis in context here, Christ gave himself to the end that he might sanctify the church, that he might make the church holy, that the church might be set aside for him in holiness. And this happens in conjunction with the ministry of the word. Now bear in mind, uh, bear that in mind with the parallel emphasis on husbands, loving their wives, which is the parallel he's making. Uh, to truly love them as Christ loves the church means that we will be building into their lives to facilitate holiness in their lives. That's what Christ is doing in the church, right? Husbands, that's what we ought to be doing in our wife's life, uh, building into her uh, sanctification. So, so that's the idea. But that's not the end uh, of the matter. Uh, there's a further end goal here. Uh, he gave himself uh, so that we might be cleansed, He's continuing that sanctifying uh, work through the the washing uh, of the word, as it were. But then to this end, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Christ did all that he did for us to this end. Here's the end goal. uh, Sanctification in this life, but culminating in glorification here that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. Wow, what a day that's going to be. When we meet Jesus, when we see him, we are going to be presented to him as a glorious church. And what's glorious here? Well, perfected, without any blemishes whatsoever. We're not there yet, right? Well, those of us on earth, those the part of the church that's gone to heaven, they're, they're looking real good. But we're here. We got a few spots yet, right? A few wrinkles, uh, yeah, there's some ugliness, there's some ugly spots in the body yet. and uh, But one day it's going to be different, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Glorious, what a day that's going to be. Not having spot or wrinkle, anything unattractive, or, or, or any such thing, anything that's unattractive. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So in glorification, which is the ultimate end goal as far as what Christ has done for us, uh, all blemishes, all imperfections are going to be removed. Collectively, we're going to be perfect. Uh, We're going to be totally holy. In that day, our uh, practice will match our position. It doesn't yet. We're in process, but uh, we're not there yet. But in glorification, uh, it will all be realized. Well, I got a number of slides here. Uh, The thought here is progressive. Redemption, verse 25, Jesus gave himself. Sanctification, Jesus makes us holy. Uh, Sanctification, uh, progressive sanctification. And then culminating in glorification. Behind this all is the love of of Christ. This is what Christ is doing for the church. This is how Christ loves the church. I take it that at the judgment seat of Christ, anything unworthy in our lives will be burned up. And what remains is what will go with us into eternity in some form of reward. At this very point will be the consummation of this verse in every sense. At that point, what God has determined in eternity past that we should be holy and without blame before him in love will be fully accomplished. Like I say, positionally, that's already true. But uh, in practice, we are in progress, progressive sanctification. But the end goal is verse 27. And you're going to get there with all your imperfections. I include myself, us as a church, with all of our imperfections. The spirit-filled life is one in which the wife submits to her husband in reverence for the Lord. And the husband loves his wife by building into her life for her ultimate good. That's what loving the wife really looks like. Uh, The the guy that says, well, you know, uh, I'm just over here demanding her submission. Uh, You completely missed the point. Uh, It's really about her ultimate good. That's what love is. This is a beautiful thing and a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. The spirit-filled life is a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. And in marriage, the operative words are submit and love. Success in marriage is not merely finding the right person. Rather, success in marriage is being the right person. It's being a spirit-filled person. Two spirit-filled people uh, result in a God-glorifying marriage. That's the number one thing I always say. Hey, if you're looking for somebody to get married to, look for a spirit-filled person. Um, You know, a lot of other things you could talk about. But boy, this is the key thing. I like this little uh, uh, piece from uh, Jim Bird. And he says, "Uh, what is the most important day of your wife's life? That's easy, you say. It was the day she married me. (laughs) A little bit of ego in there, maybe. Uh, No doubt that was a big day, and let's hope uh, it still is for her. (laughs) But other events have been important to her as well. Her salvation, her graduation day, each was an important milestone in her life. But there is another milestone that wins the prize as her biggest day. It is the day yet to come when she stands before Christ to give an account of her usefulness to him during her earthly pilgrimage. It will be a momentous, awe-inspiring day for her, to be sure. It will eclipse every other day she has had up to that time. What is even more frightening to me as a husband is the realization that I too will stand before Christ on that day and give an account of how well I prepared my wife for that very moment. That's what we're talking about loving uh, your wife as Christ loved the church. This is what Christ is doing with the church. This is what we ought to be doing with our wives if we love them. Christ saw the church's greatest need to be her sanctification. His mandate to me to love my wife as he loved the church means that I will be doing for her the same thing Christ does for the church, assisting her in her sanctification. I must see her in light of eternity. She is in every sense of the word my wife But even more importantly, she is the promised bride of her Lord. She shares my life only temporarily. She will share his life forever. Though she is my spouse, she is still a bride in waiting for her beloved. Ah, that's pretty good stuff by Jim Berg there. So, amen. All right, the spirit-filled marriage. Like I say, what we are studying tonight in my teaching flows out of be filled with the spirit. Uh, What does it look like? Well, it looks like joy. It looks like Thanksgiving. It looks like submission. Yes, submitting to one another, having that attitude of I'm I'm working with you. But then as we get into the marriage relationship, how does it look? Well, it looks like wives submitting to their husbands. It looks like husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. This is what the spirit-filled life is all about in the context of marriage. All right, well, that's really half the message here, but we only have time for half of it tonight. We'll get to the rest of it next week, uh, Lord willing, as we uh, finish out uh, the rest of this chapter in Ephesians chapter five.